Welcome everybody to the Can Manius Kill a Jedi podcast. I am your co-host Hannah. And I am your main host, the Artificial Dragon. And at the time of his recording, it is officially May the 4th. So, uh, hey, May the 4th to people in the past, now the future. <laughs> May the 4th, everybody. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. And yeah, um, just a little quick update. Um, Star Wars Season 2 of Visions is now live on Disney+. Plus. Hell yeah. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to watching those yet, unfortunately, because I was busy doing other stuff and preparing for this episode. I'm and sure, I'm sure you're going to watch it tonight. Yeah, and uh, preparing for the uh, the Aigo arc, which will also be recorded today. Yep. Um, so yeah, just a lot of exciting things. Um... Looking forward to Visions. I've heard they've been been pretty good lately. And, uh, yeah, um, that's pretty much all that we have for Star Wars news today. But uh, more young, in- young Jedi Adventures also came out. Yeah. But- Which, that's more angled towards kids, but I think it's cute. <laughs> the designs are cute. Yeah, they do look good. But more importantly, this, you want to know what uh, what's so important about this episode now, Hannah? What? It is our 30th episode. We've reached 30 already. I We've can't already that. reached 30. The, the Shock T episode was our 29th episode, and this will be our 30th episode. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Such a, a monumentous occasion, which I had confetti to burn, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, I'll just put it in the background. Just burn. <laughs> Cheers. And yeah, um, so for any of you new viewers that have come across the channel, um, we have a Patreon. Um... You can find it at patreon.com slash can mayo. Once again, it's patreon.com slash mayo. Can mayo, my bad. <laughs> um, and this month, we have a new Patreon art piece, which is the Chiss Spy, who is based off of a new Bond girl from whatever movie that was. I can't remember it at the top of my head. But, and I can't she remember is, either. I don't follow <laughs> But she is definitely... Um, just a normal chiss, and she is now working she for... She definitely the, doesn't work for the Ascendancy. She definitely does not work for the Ascendancy. What What made you think that, citizen? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, if you're not into Patreon art pieces, um, you could contribute to any amount on our Patreon from the initiate of $2, uh, Spacer for $5, and Smuggler for $10. And whatever tier you contribute to, you will have instant access to our Discord server. And you can come talk to us. That's yeah. the best part. And we also have new emojis, new stickers to uh, plaster around to whatever Discord servers you're a part of. Such as the, uh, the uh, meme-worthy No Witches. <laughs> yep, No Witches. No Witches. Yeah, that's probably the... Uh, favorite one of a bunch so far i think mine is the uh verbine face palm you have you have a classic verbine face palm is always a go-to <laughs> uh but anyway um so that aside i think we all know what today's episode is going to be about hannah ladies and germs we're going to be talking about naboo the naboo the most beautiful planet in the entirety of a Star Wars mythos. Oh, okay, that's kind of arguable, but in the movie It's one canon, of the most beautiful planets. Yeah. At least in when it comes to movie standards, it's the most beautiful planet in all of Star Wars. Very. Yeah. Um, and it made its debut in the first prequel movie of Episode One: The Phantom Menace back in two, 1999, I believe. 
Really? 1999? Yep. yep. Or 2001, either. I think I was... I think I was born by the time the first movie came yep. out. Yeah, that's accurate. I probably... So I was like four years old when the movie came out, yeah. So, yeah, 2001? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was a year old. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the movie is a little bit... Uh, I'm a little bit older than the movie. <laughs> a bit. Not much. Yeah. The, the, the prequels, I just... I love prequels because it's what I grew up with. It was yep. my first taste of Star Wars. Yep. And... Yeah, I got to watch it with my dad. So. That's good. Yeah. It always good memories. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, Naboo, it doesn't have that many particularly interesting background details on like Tatooine, which was based off of a planet from the uh, Dune series. Yeah. But uh, Naboo, um, I believe there were like a couple of uh, uh, special locations in Spain that they sh- shot locations for Naboo at. I know that the lake... In the wedding scene. Yep. Was shot in Italy. Yep. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. That's still gorgeous. Absolutely it, gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. It's the exact opposite of Tatooine. Instead of being this desolate wasteland, it's just this temperate planet with luscious forests, wide-spanning swamps, and it has a shit ton of life in it. I say this for a lot of planets, I'm sure, in the future, but it's probably the closest equivalent of Earth in the Star Wars universe. Basically. Yeah. Um, more focused on, like, old Europe instead of, you know, America. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so... I, th- I think Coruscant would be America. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just urbanized all over the place. It's the galactic center of the universe, but Naboo obviously has that... Uh, natural beauty in comparison to the uh urban beauty that Coruscant has yeah anyway um so Naboo is within the sector capital of the Chamo sector within the mid rim and Naboo barely board it's basically in like the tippy tip toe near the outer rim territories it's like right near at the very edge of the outer rim territories it's just bare it barely qualifies as a uh, mid-rim planet if it was any further it would be qualified as an outer rim world well even still it's yeah. a it's a very important part of the republic it is and it is if you recall from uh, episode two attack of the clones it is relatively close to the planets of tattooing and geonosis yep which is the main reason why obi-wan was able to try and contact Anakin in episode two and why uh, Qui-Gon and the rest of the people went to tattooing from Naboo. Yep. But anyway, um, so let me see. Naboo is 12,120 kilometers wide in comparison to Earth, which is 12,756 kilometers wide. So it's slightly smaller than Earth. Just a bit. Yeah, it has a 26-hour day and night cycle compared to 24 hours. Oh, so their day is two hours longer. Yep. And it I has mind that. <laughs> and it has an orbital period of 312 days compared to 365 days of Earth. That's significant. It's so it's like a month-ish short. Yeah, it's a month-ish shorter than Earth. Cool. Yeah. Um Naboo has it it has a lot more surface water compared to Earth, which has like seventy one percent surface water. Mm-hmm. Um, Naboo has eighty five percent. Wow! So it is, yeah, it's a 
the very definition of a swamp planet. Complete opposite of Tatooine. Yeah, exactly. And much like Tatooine, it does have free moons, which I believe all three of them hold life and everything. That's cool. Um, there's uh, Omadun, Rory, and the third moon doesn't have a name. Hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. It is mostly noted for its predominantly wide, unspoiled plains, swamps, and sea, along with a molten plasma core with an inner core, which is believed to be comprised mostly of a nickel-iron alloy. It's exactly why the uh, Separatists targeted Nebu. Yeah, the, the Trade Federation in specific, yeah. because they're like, ooh, all they that... They turned <laughs> into the Separatists. Yeah. I just call them the Separatists. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, um, that confusion aside, um, while these chemical compositions are common throughout the galaxy, the unique properties of a plasma core stood out for most astrophysicists. And the plasma is basically the uh, used by both the Nabu and the Gungans as a renewable um, and efficient energy source. Interesting. So, if, in comparison to like fossil fuels and all that stuff, this is like. Top of a notch, clean energy. That's cool. Yeah. And let me see. Compare uh, that to Earth and... <laughs> yeah, go on. N- Nabu is basically like utopia. Yeah. Picturing it's essentially it. like that, yeah. Or at least the human colonization. Yeah. And I think the most interesting thing about it is that uh, the plasma... um. Instead of like our, our own Earth, which is like a molten lava core and everything like that... The plasma core, um, it replaces the lava with plasmic magma. Wow. Yeah, and uh, much like our own Earth, um, this plasmic uh, magma seethes and bubbles from the very center of a planet and carves many winding labyrinths and tunnels within the deep oceans, almost akin to the lava tubes. Nice. Um, plasmic eruptions... Uh, find their way to the parious crust of a planet, affecting geographies such as mountain chains and tectonic plates. Side note, if you are ever in northern Arizona, go to the lava tubes. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to the lava tubes in like forever. Pretty fun. Yeah, it is very fun. Make sure you don't get stuck down there. Yep, don't get stuck. <laughs> um, Nabu is, as I mentioned before, it is predominantly a swamp planet, where its swamps serve as a gateway to Nabu's extensive oceans which reach within the core of a planet itself wow like like if you recall in episode one um qui-gon and obi-wan went to the gungans who have extensive knowledge of the inner cave systems so they could go to feed and they or whatever. pretty far down yeah exactly all they had to do is just go into the tunnels and boom they're at feed on the other side of the planet that's cool yeah though it still has several rowing planes with its largest mountain chain being the gallo mountains which bisected naboo's largest continent um on one side it has the great grassy plains which is like that, uh, you remember that climatic battle between the Gungans and the Trade Federation? Okay. That's yeah. where the grassy plains are. Okay. And then on the other side is the, uh, in the north is the Lembian Swamp and the ocean-like Lake Pagona in the south. Nice. And Lake Pagona, um, is that, uh, <laughs> is that lake that Jar Jar leads Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan into to Oda Gunga. So it's basically where, uh, the Gungans live. Yep. One side is the Gungans, the other side is the uh, Naboo. Cool. Yeah. Um, Naboo has a population of 4.5 billion. Wow. Though, 
in their defense, 72% of that is made up of the native Gungans, while 27% is of the human colonists. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Gungans widely outnumber the uh, Nabu colonists by far. Yeah. Um, the main human capital of Nabu, as we all know, is Feed, the, the gorgeous uh, city of Nabu. Feed is so beautiful, and I noticed that in... Uh, it is on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. Start The Skywalker Saga, nah. the, the Lego game. Yeah. Uh, Thede is a city that you can, you know, run around in and play mm-hmm. in. Yep. I think that's so cool. It and is it, so it cool. It re- replicates the gorgeous outlook of the city. It's yeah. It's beautiful. I would love to, uh, play the new Lego games one of these days. Yeah. I think it's on my wish list on Steam. <laughs> if anyone wants to give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be much appreciated. And, uh... And then, of course, we have Odagunga, which is at the very bottom of that lake I mentioned earlier, and is the seat of a Gungan's government. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, let me see. While Nabu may be remembered as one of the most loyal members of a republic, it is actually quite a recent addition to the galactic community. Hmm. Only joining the republic at around 868 years before the Battle of Yavin. Wow. So, it's like uh, roughly 200 years after the extinction of the Sith, quote-unquote. Quote-unquote. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah well, it's compared to the rest of the other planets in the Republic, it's very new. It's a it's a baby planet. It's baby. <laughs> compared to Odoran, Coruscant, uh, Duros, it's a baby yep, in it's comparison. A baby. <laughs> um, though, even though it is quite a young planet, it has quite the colorful history, with both its native population of the Gungans and eventually the adaptive natives who are the human colonists who call themselves the Naboo. Um, so let me see. We'll eventually talk about the Gungans in their own separate episode because they have such a deep and intricate history that they deserve their own episode and everything. Take a shot. <laughs> Take a shot. <laughs> um, let me see. For- and we, we mentioned the, uh, the connection of the Nabu people to the Ones in yep. the Gods episode. Yep. Check it out. <laughs> For much of its history, the Gungans basically dominated all of Naboo for a majority of its history. Um, Though mostly they kept to the swamps and waterways as they considered the mountains and grasslands as desert-like for them. Yeah, that makes sense. They probably need water to survive. Yep, yep, they are an amphibious race, so they probably (laughs) need to bathe themselves in water every once in a while to keep that moisture. Yep. Um... Though at roughly around 3,951 years before the Battle of Yavin, the planet... So this is roughly around Swator era, by the way. Okay. Um, the planet would be discovered by a Republic explorer named... Uh, I'm going to absolutely butcher this. Keluyan. Um There's basically one canon picture of this guy, and he's basically an important figure within Naboo culture and everything. Um... Let me see if I could find him. Uh, there he is. <laughs> that's not a decent picture. No. But, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's the legitimate only picture I could find of a dude. But yeah, the point is, he's like the, uh, I wouldn't say the Christopher Columbus of the Naboo people, but it's very... He's the Amerigo Vespucci. Yeah, that's a more a better way of putting it. Yes, Very. he's the one who discovered 
Naboo. Yep. He's not the one who colonized Naboo. Nope, nope. Um, well, he eventually did lead a colony effort, sponsored by uh, Elzenor Denetesia, the newly appointed queen of the core world of Gezromat. I'm probably mispronouncing that as well, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Insert text. <laughs> as such, the planet would be called Naboo, named after Naboo, the, the principal deity of that world, N-A-B-U. <laughs> if you're a DC fan, you know, <laughs> you know you make the connection. Yeah, I'm. I was, I was actually counting on you to point that reference out. Yep. If you're a DC fan, Naboo is a very familiar name. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, Doctor Fate, if you're not well knowledge in that. Yes, Doctor Fate is named Naboo. Yep. Um. Though 51 years later. Grezomat would be the center of a violent civil war, which forced many to find a new home, and that world was Naboo. Okay. Yeah, and they were like, oh fuck, there's a civil war. Okay, time to go to this luscious, gorgeous world away from the barbaric war that has been going on. Fuck you guys. Yep, exactly. Fuck you guys, we're out. Yeah. Um, though, even though they were... They found this gorgeous world, and the, you know they started building up settlements and everything. Their first relations or first meeting, quote unquote, with the Gungans was—I wouldn't say peaceful. It was kind of tense in the beginning, but there weren't exactly any conflicts between them. I'm—I'm well, I'm pretty good. sure there were here and there, but it was mostly a uh, agreement to stay out of each other's way. Like we'll keep to the swamp. You guys go to the mountains because we have no interest in them as long as you don't tread into our territory. That's a mutual agreement. Yeah. Um, Though there have been a couple of occasions where both people would openly trade with one another. But mostly the Naboo kind of like don't pay attention to it. Like, eh, it's just some fringe traders. We'll let it be as long as it's benefiting our civilization, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me see. Um... Though uniquely, one the human city of Kaudera was founded in 2900 BBY, the region Kaliosok hired Gungan warriors to serve as the city's security forces from the local animals. Nice. So yeah, for before the blockade of Naboo reunited the uh, Gungans of the Naboo, there was a couple of occasions where the Gungans are treated as equals. That's cool. So yeah, this was basically a huge tradition um, where the Gungans serve as the uh, security force for the city. This tradition would eventually die out, but then it was restored after the blockade of Naboo and everything. Makes sense. And it was dismantled shortly after when the Empire came in. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, the re- Empire, had to, <laughs> Empire had to rule, ruin everything as usual. Um, let me see. The Naboo as a culture are known as a pastoral and nomadic people, initially migrating in tribes and clans on the vast grasslands with few settlements of substance. Hmm. So they were, I want to say, hunter-gatherers, so to speak. They were just, uh, I'm not sure if the planet that they came from was particularly advanced, but... You know, they wanted to live off the land because I'm sure they didn't want to <laughs> disrupt the natural beauty of Naboo and everything. Yeah. Though eventually, these clans would settle into their own city-states. Very much like a class, yeah, classic ancient Greek culture and everything. With Athens and Sparta, that sort of thing. Yep. 
Um, and they eventually transformed into a classic feudal society with a hereditary um, noble class and common folk. Though, almost like Japan. Almost, almost like Japan, yeah. Though there are no records of a subservient surf class or anything like that. That's cool. Yeah, so... At least they didn't believe in servants. Yeah, at least. Um, so, good for them, at least. Generally, each city-state had their own ruling princes or princes, but the title of queen or king would be a ceremonial ruler of Naboo, which was rotated rotated, (laughs) um, between tribal or city-states. The first one to attain this role would be an unidentified woman who became the first queen of Naboo. Nice. And while she accepted the title, she absolutely refused to be the founder of a dynasty. She did not believe in creating a royal lineage, which would always breed queens and kings. She wanted all the other aristocrats to have a fair shot at becoming, you know, ruler and representative of Naboo and everything. Oh, so this is how it got its start with the democratic um, ideals. Yeah, the... The government system of the Naboo is a elected monarchy. But still, it's democratic. It's yeah. a democratic monarchy. I fucking love that. Yeah, I think I. it's just kind of mind-blowing to me because you would normally not associate monarchy with a uh, democratic not government. Not historically-wise. <laughs> but yeah, um, somehow they made it work, and it, which is and the very reason why <laughs> it is usually customary to have uh, female rulers because of his very first queen individual. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the first queen decreed that her successor would only be selected based on their merits alone, which made it traditional amongst the Naboo to vote based on intellectual maturity rather than biological age. Makes sense why Padme was queen. Yeah, she was 18 when she was queen, by the way. Well. Yep. It just goes to show how... Uh, intellectually um gifted she is even at a young age yeah good for her even though she fell for a uh psychopath like anakin but <laughs> eh, can't be perfect <laughs> i mean even her successor was good as i've heard yeah i i don't know too much about the we don't uh, know too much about her yeah we don't know too much about the queens the successors of padme so on and so forth but point is they're not <laughs> the focus of this episode or anything no. um though in 1000 BBY, a crisis would consume all of Naboo, which would become known as the Time of Suffering, which began several civil wars between several city-states, and it would last for 200 years. Wow. Yeah, so even Naboo had its fair share of uh, wars here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, which finally ended through the actions of an individual named General Jeffen, who united the city-states through his military might and force of will. Nice. After the end of his conflict, Jafana declared the humble city of Feed, which was initially a uh, farming settlement, as the capital of Naboo. Nice. And let me see. Uh, makes me... Uh, excuse me. It makes on. me think that Feed uh, is basically the Athens of Naboo. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and he became the true proper king of Naboo and ushered in a great time of peace for Naboo. Um, and he was, unlike the uh, previous queen 
he was the one who created his own dynasty. Like, his family, for a good while anyway, would be the traditional rulers of Naboo and everything. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so it's a proper monarchy for a little bit. Yeah. Um, later monarchs afterwards would wear, would be known to wear a, uh, a uh, little design on their face called the Scar of Remembrance. And I will show you a picture here. Um, I got damn it, Lopez. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a little. <laughs> for context, Lopez is sitting in his lap. Yep. Yep, he is. Um, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, it's a, It's basically this little um, sign. Um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, the Scar of Remembrance is a vertical line of makeup that divided the lower lip as a mark of remembrance for the least fortunate days before the establishment of true unity and peace on Naboo. That's cool. And you practically see this on every single queen of Naboo. They always have that little lip design. I mean, you you see it even when Padme is not in her position as queen. Yeah. Her handmaidens wear it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and as I said before, Jafan would establish his own dynasty. Um, until the last of their line expired without a legitimate... Um, Air. Six air, thank you. Um, and it essentially went back into the traditional elected monarchy. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah, so it went back there. Although the uh, position of king and queen would hold the uh, very powerful position of help holding the powers of a head of state, head of government, and a commander in chief all in one. Happy had a lot to do. Oh, yeah, she had. She had a big-ass weight on her shoulders <laughs> at 18. At 14. 14. Yeah, 14. She was, she would have been our equivalent of a middle schooler by our standards. Yeah, she's a middle schooler, and she's a head of state. Yep. Holy fuck. And the head of the military. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a lot. Good on Padme for uh, sticking through, though, and actually liberating Naboo in the process. Yep. Though... She did get uh, Palpatine in a position of power, but eh, nobody's take, perfect. Take a shot. Palpatine's <laughs> ruined episode. Yeah. Um, that might be my next pick. Yeah. Um, even with peace coming to Naboo, and even when the planet became part of a galactic republic, it still had many troubles to face. Uh, enter stage right, the Trade Federation. Of course. <laughs> of course. As we all know, the Trade Federation would become interested in its plasma reserves. Like, ooh, this clean, renewable energy source. We want to profit off of this and, yeah, you know, share some of the profits. But mostly we are getting a majority of the profits. <laughs> Money! <laughs> Money! <laughs> Though at the same time, the Naboo would establish its own space fighter corps. Like, keep in mind, Naboo is relatively young in the terms of, you know, position in the galactic economy and um uh, it's standing in the republic yeah. it's young and it's standing yeah um so establishing its own fighter corps was essentially unheard of because that's basically the next step of making a military force but they had basically a security force nothing else still that's cool big strides yeah um yeah and I absolutely love the uh, Naboo Starfighters. The N1 Starfighters. They're probably the most luxurious looking 
starships in all of Star Wars. Um, I believe I've seen them before, but I know you're going to send me a picture. Yeah, the yellow one, yeah. Those are so cool. They're sleek, they're elegant. I love it. Yeah, even the one that Djarin eventually adopts is really slick looking. Yeah. It's basically like a muscle car. Yes, it's the Star Wars muscle car. A muscle car. And I believe that each one of those starfighters are classified as luxury starfighters. That's cool. They, yeah, they they probably cost as much as like a Lamborghini by our standards. Oh my god. <laughs> and the Naboo had an entire fleet of these things. That's so cool. It is didn't, so awesome. This is diverting a little bit, yeah. but didn't Jean find one on the wheel in the black market? I think she, Kit specifically wanted to find one because he loved the aesthetic, but unfortunately there was no N1 available. Uh, I remember him mentioning it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Kit loves that Starfighter. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he, one He day. is here in spirit. Yeah, he is here in spirit. <laughs> um, Let me see. Uh, and then, of course, we know the rest. Trade Federation invaded Naboo. Um, Padme Amidala, she was elected because she talked about giving change to Naboo and renegotiating the treatment that the Trade Federation has been giving them. But the Trade Federation decided, fuck you guys, we're going to blockade your planet and everything. Insert the whole of the first episode. <laughs> this is perfectly legal. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then we know the entire plot. Um, they liberate Naboo, destroyed the uh, droid control ship. New Gunray goes to prison, at least for a little while. For a bit. <laughs> for a bit. Goes through like numerous trials and... He, uh, the charges were dropped against him and all he had to do was pay some fines. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it happened with us, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when a uh, fiction resembles real life, you know something is fucked. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, um, on the bright side, the Naboo have full control over the plasma market and everything. Nice. And I believe Padme kind of stepped up and said, hey... We need to make a a new Naboo military, something like that. Mm -hmm. And since the Trade Federation no longer have a uh, foothold in their plasma market, they now had full control and just pay off the military with uh, plasma reserves and everything. Nice. Which is a very good commodity to have when you're a uh, pacifist world and everything. Yeah. Probably the approach Duchess the Teen should have gone with. Is look at Naboo, but nah, whatever. Well, Mandalore didn't really have anything to offer. Well, probably Beskar, but they stopped it. Well, she <laughs> made Beskar back. illegal, so. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, but. Satine deserves her own episode. Another shot. <laughs> Another shot for everything of that uh, we mentioned. And yeah, yeah, you give a point. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, and then uh, Padme, I believe. Each queen and king of Naboo have a have a uh, term of like four years, I believe. Basically, a presidency. Yeah, presidency, and uh, compared to the United States. And I believe Padme was so popular that uh, the people wanted her to become queen, but her successor was like, "Hey, you could serve in a different fashion and become our senator." And she's like, "Sure, I'll be your senator." That's cool. And uh, yeah, and if you slightly recall in Attack of the Clones. Padme was not for the uh, Military Creation Act for the Republic and everything. 
yeah, which I is the main, re- which is the main reason. Well, aside from New Gunray wanting her dead, um, the main reason why Palpatine wanted her out of the picture, so to speak. Fucker, he's conniving in the background to kill someone who trusts him completely. Yep. Motherfucker. <laughs> and then, Fuck uh, Palpatine. and then, of course, we know the entire plot of Attack of the Clones. Uh, Padme and Anakin um, get together, that sort of thing. It's for the start of the Clone Wars. Um, and Chance- Chancellor Palpatine gets emergency powers through the acts of the more inexperienced representative Jar Jar Binks. You know, that sort of thing. Yes, Jar Jar. I-, I hate that Jar Jar was the catalyst of Palpatine gaining control. Yeah. I know that Massa and... Ornfree Ta lobbied for Palpatine to take power as well, mm-hmm. but it was Jar Jar's vote that made everything fall. I mean, yeah, this is true, but then again, a good majority of the Galactic Senate basically said, fuck yeah, we're going to give the Chancellor emergency powers. None of them said, no, we shouldn't. Perfect point from Padme. This is how Liberty dies. Thunderous <laughs> applause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, One of my favorite lines from her, by the way. Oh yeah, it is top tier prequel quotes ever yes um aside from the meme more of you ones yes. but anyway um and then then we kind of know rest uh padme um she wasn't exactly a h- huge fan of a galactic empire one for her brief moment when she was around during its reign and everything very brief <laughs> um Afterwards, while Naboo would generally support the rise of the Galactic Empire, many of its members serving within the uh, Imperial military and even Captain Panaka, who is like the uh, the main security officer from uh, from uh, Phantom Menace, if you yep. recall, um, he actually became one of Palpatine's most loyal followers and became a moth of Naboo. Wow. Yeah, there's like this, uh, I can remember if it's a uh, canon novel. Yeah, it's a canon novel. Um, where uh, Princess Leia was trying to find allies. And she heard about Moff Panaka being this super honorable man who once served alongside the legendary Queen of Naboo, Padme Amidala. Of course, she doesn't know Padme is her mother and everything. Um, but she went to see Panaka to kind of lobby him to join the Rebel Alliance, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and Panaka just looked at Leia. And he's like, oh my god. Is... Is Padme back from the <laughs> fucking dead? I mean, obviously he didn't ask Leia, but in his he, head he was thinking, like, holy shit. Is Padme that's, alive? That's... Padme's dead, but holy shit. That's Padme's daughter. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, and then unfortunately afterwards he was planning to share his revelation with Palpatine, but... He got killed not too long after by uh, Saw Gerrera. Aw, oh, damn it. Yeah. Um, Panaka is a pretty cool guy, even under the Empire. I mean, yeah, he had good intentions, but no, it wouldn't have helped. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, former Republic officers were pretty cool, and then they joined the Empire. But yeah, that's a episode for another time. I think I remember, I don't remember, it might have been a comic that uh, was based on Leia. Uh-huh. Um, but she was given Padme's dresses. Oh, yeah, she yeah, yeah. She was given Padme's wardrobe. Yeah, that was, uh, I believe it was part of the uh, Poe Dameron comics where uh, Leia went to uh, Captain Nomodia because they had votes and she wanted to uh, put the dresses of her mother into those votes for protection and everything. That's cool. Yeah. Um, 
And then, uh, so... I just like the, you know, not everybody knows she's Padme's daughter. Yep. But a few people, it's like, yeah, she, she deserves this stuff. Mm-hmm. And now Boo would actually become one of the first worlds to secretly fester doubts within this new regime. If it could truly bring order and prosperity throughout the entire galaxy. And the current queen at the time, Queen Apelina, actually harbored several Jedi survivors from Order 66. And this ultimately proved to be our downfall as a... Uh, Darth Vader's 501st Battalion were sent to put down this low insurgency and execute the Queen. Oof. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards, she was replaced with Queen Khalifa, who served as a puppet ruler and would once again uh, <laughs> leave the oppression of their former allies, the Gungans. Uh, of course. Yep. Though, fortunately, their oppression by the Empire wouldn't last much longer until the formation of a new republic after the Battle of Endor. And they, I believe they became one of its founding members in this new republic. Nice. Yeah. Um, though, <laughs> you know, uh, Palpatine being the petty asshole that he is. Uh, so, Palpatine, in canon anyway, Palpatine had this contingency order called Project, uh, not Project, uh, Operation Cinder, which basically is his philosophy of if the the Empire is not strong enough to protect its Emperor, then the Empire does not deserve to live. You want the Batman direction. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Naboo was one of the many worlds. Um, so there's these, uh, these uh, orbital satellites that um, orbitally bombard worlds until they're nothing but glass and everything. Mm -hmm. And Naboo was one of those worlds. Oh no! Well, fortunately, with the help of uh, the current queen of the time and Leia, they were able to stop this operation from committing on Naboo in particular. Awesome. So Naboo did not get the Mandalore treatment. They were about to, though, because they Palpatine... Were fucking close. <laughs> yeah, because Palpatine was a petty asshole. Fucker. If, <laughs> if I can't live, then nobody else can live. Oh, yeah, and uh, kind of a uh, unrelated subject, but... Leia actually went into the same uh, uh, plasma refinery that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan had their duel with Maul in. That's cool. And in that same reactor pit that uh, Maul died in, Leia actually... Quote-unquote died. Quote-unquote died, yeah. Um, Leia actually felt the remnants of Maul's rage. Wow. Like 25 years later. Wow. No, 35 years later. God damn. Yeah. He was that mad. Yeah, his his rage just stayed in that particular room like, fuck you, Obi-Wan, god damn you. <laughs> and Padme just, no, not Padme, uh, Leo was like, oh my god. That's cool. That's a fun inclusion. <laughs> yeah, um, so we got enough. Imagine being so angry, your rage fucking sticks around 35 years. Yep, it's... <laughs> Fucking Sif. They, uh... Maul's they the rage is one of a kind, I swear. Yeah. Sif's rage are the origins of ghost stories, I fucking swear. Sounds like <laughs> But anyway, um, so enough about Naboo's history. Um, obviously Naboo is a very lush world recognized for its peerless beauty and untouched wilderness. Um... As we've said dozens of times, this place is fucking gorgeous. It is very gorgeous. I, I think I remember Anakin saying that if he grew up on Naboo, he would never want to leave 
Yeah, I don't blame him. I wouldn't <laughs> want to leave either. Um, and of course, we're going to explore the flora and the fauna of Naboo. And let me just tell you, there is a shit ton of them. I'm if, sure. If Tatooine had a shit ton, then there's even more flora and fauna on Naboo. But, of course, I'm going to go through the notable ones to save myself a little bit of a headache and everything. Yep. Um, the first life form that we'll be going into is the Nuna, which is the little reptil. It's called, it's labeled as a reptavian, which is like a reptile um, bird thing. Um, yeah, you know what the Nunas look like, right? I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry, I have a... Uh, Pictures for days. Weren't those um, the thi- weren't, wasn't that the thing that Anakin was trying to ride? Oh, no, 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 no. That was that's a that's a uh, completely different creature. Vanuna, I put it in the chat. Okay. Yeah, they're like... It's uh, this weird, like, reptile bird-looking thing. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're roughly the size of a chicken. I was going to say, it's a mutated chicken. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a reptile chicken, basically. And they're used for a lot of culinary practices, like roasted Nuna is... It, it gained the nickname Swamp Turkey. I see that. Yeah, like Ornfree Ta. <laughs> he loves and, fried Nuna legs. Yeah, he loves fried Nuna legs. And the Nuna, um, as I mentioned before, they're like basically turkeys of Naboo. Um, uniquely enough, despite originating from a swamp planet, they could be found on many planets across the galaxy. I'm sure. Like even Tatooine has Nunas on it. Wow. It's just like how turkeys can be found all across yeah. the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's that uh, famous sport. Um, so the Nunas, when they're agitated, they puff up like they're a puffer fish, basically. <laughs> and Gungans have been known to agitate Nunas and basically kick them around like they're golf balls and everything. <laughs> and it leads up to this very funny sport called a Nunu Ball. Which is basically a competition between droids, where they basically use Venuna as a football, basically. Oh no! <laughs> Animal cruelty! <laughs> it's so fucking hilarious. Oh no! Just these mechanical beings just passing this puffed up turkey like it's a fucking football. PETA would like to know your location. <laughs> there's the pigskin, and then there's the Nuna ball. Oh, God. <laughs> That's so horrible. <laughs> and it's actually a very popular sport in Star Wars currently. I'm sure. Yeah. Especially with, uh, I believe in Nunu Ball. Um, so two droid manufacturers want to uh, showcase what their droids are capable of. And they decide to put them into this football game scenario. <laughs> <laughs> sport- we gotta cover sports in Star Wars. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because those are interesting. They are absolutely I interesting. do not like sports, but Star Wars sports... I, I can get behind. <laughs> Glad we could agree on something. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the Super Bowl. Um, and then the next creature it's just is... just like, real life politics. I can... I Fuck real life politics. I can get behind Star Wars politics. <laughs> and next creature is this ugly, adorable, fluffy thing called the, uh, the uh, Varok. They're basically this little hamster looking thing. Aww. That's cute. It's a little puffball. It's a little puffball. Yeah, it's like a uh, little hamster thing. I want one. <laughs> yeah, and as you see in the second image, they have like six legs and everything. They got a lot of legs. Yeah, they do have a lot of legs. Um, this creature is not exactly sentient, but they're known for their intelligence. And they are popular as pets amongst the ladies of Naboo. Well, 
duh. Yeah. Um, they are. Dim- I, I keep one on my shoulder. Yeah. Um, they are diminutive creatures. Um, packing many sharp and needle-like teeth and have large eyes that make them suited as nocturnal hunters. Living in the wild, they live among small colonies in the hill country of Naboo, kind of like uh, guinea pigs and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Vorpox are lightweight and they are usually su- and they are supported by eight legs. And they are so small, they could be carried in a tiny little purse. Aww, like a chihuahua. <laughs> like a little chihuahua, yeah. Um, the Verpok can emit a soothing purring noise. And mothers can usually have litters of up to three to five pups. Oh, it would be the perfect therapy animal. Oh yeah, absolutely. They are known as uh, mascots for aristocrats. Um, and they make great hand warmers during winter. That's so cute. I want one! <laughs> and their, um, soft fur carries a pleasant scent. And you remember, how do I, how do I say your fucking name? Quora? The, uh, the, uh, love interest of Han Solo in the movie? Kira. Kira, thank you. Um, Kira has been known to wear a, uh, Vorpok fur coat. Who would want to kill me with a coat? <laughs> Why would you be so cruel to kill one of these? <laughs> They're too cute. <laughs> you probably need to kill a lot of them to make a fur coat anyway. Oh, <laughs> I thought that was a funny little detail I came They're across. adorable. They are adorable. I want one. <laughs> Glad you're leaning more into the adorable side instead of the uh, ugly adorable side. Yeah. But Those are so cute. You ready for more adorableness? Yes. The next creature on the list is a toke, which is, it basically looks like a little kangaroo rat thing. Here we go. It does look like a kangaroo rat. Yeah. Like the ones you find in Australia. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's cute. Yeah, they are a small hopping rodent native to the Gungan Swamplands. They're also... It's got itty bitty arms. <laughs> He's got little T-Rex little arms. <laughs> um... And much like uh, the Varpex, they're also nocturnal. And like all rodents, the toke have a high reproduction rate and usually have litters of eight. Wow. Um, with their young becoming independent and fertile within two weeks. So they grow up really, really quickly. Um, when the toke is in danger, they have a natural um, instinct and very fast reflexes and often escape uh, danger with a reflexive backflip. Wow, that's cool. So it's like that uh, monkey meme where they backflip. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do a flip! Though, uniquely enough, toke are known to be toxic to rancors whenever they are ingested by that certain creature. That's cool. And the Gungans usually pluck their uh, little tail hairs as paintbrushes. I could, It does look like a paintbrush. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then next I is... I want one! <laughs> now we get into uh, a little bit more of a weird variety. Um, oh boy. The next one is the uh, Olapom. They are aquatic rodents that live on the surface of a Gungan swamps. That's a lily pad. Yep. That is a swimming lily pad. Yeah, and I believe you could find these things in Galaxy's Edge too. Let me see if I can find the uh, exact picture of... Uh... They probably have them as, like, there we stuffed go. toys. Yeah, yeah. There it is. There it is. Oh, that's cool! Yep. And obviously, like, they're uh, green furry rodents, and they have uh, 
you know, their natural color is for camouflage within the swamps. Yeah. And they naturally... Uh, you, could, you could mistake that for a lily pad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're meant to resemble the, uh, the uh, native palm petals. That's cool. And they have uh, little tendrils on top of their head, which mimic blooming palm petals. And a nice little quirky detail. Um, when they are young, they usually ride on the tails of their mothers. Oh, cute. Yeah, it is very cute. And then, it looks like a pretty cool pet to have. Yeah. <laughs> Just make sure to uh, have a nice little aquatic terrarium for them to swim yep. around in and everything. Um, and then next are the pelikey. They're basically like Nabu equivalent of ducks. And uh, why did I go to there? Um, they're basically Nabu equivalents to ducks... And, uh, pelicans. There we go. Okay. Space duck. Yeah, space duck. Um, <laughs> and much like duck... Team Four Star fans, you will get the reference. Yeah. Um, so the pelican, as I... <laughs> they have, like, these gigantic throat pouches, much like pelicans do. Mm-hmm. And Nabu bystanders are known to, uh, buy... You know, just uh, culinary items like fish or whatever, and just throw them out for the pelican to eat for their own amusement and everything. Yeah, just just like, just like feeding the seagulls in Seattle. Watch out, seagulls! <laughs> <laughs> Stop it now! <laughs> I had to make that reference. Um, and then next are the pico pico. Um, let me see. Uh, yeah, there's these. Uh, Reptilian birds. They're described as albatrosses, basically. They look like macaws. A little bit. They look like space macaws. Reptilian space macaws, yeah. Those are cool. Yeah. They're beautiful. Obviously, as you can see from the picture there, they have uh, deep blue plumage and and usually have a wingspan of 9 feet and 10 inches. So they are, I think the one that Padme is holding is like a baby or something. That's still really cool. Yeah, and they usually congregate in large flocks, but generally travel in pairs and mate for life. That's really cool. Yeah, they have a fairly toxic skin and feathers, which usually discourage many animals from preying upon them. But obviously there are predators that are immune to its toxins Uh and everything. Um, Let's see... And Can I, I just start collecting animals? <laughs> Can I start collecting animals? Sure. I want, I want like three of these. Yeah. And also, good thing you mentioned because they are also skilled mimics. That's so cool. And they could be trained to talk in captivity and are a favorite pet of both the Nabu and the Gungans. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Now. There's space macaws. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. Nabu has a good amount of wildlife. I am re- legitimately surprised. I love this. Yeah. Um, and then next we go into the uh, ugly cute. Next are... Let me actually upload the pictures first. Um, next are the blarfs. Blarfs? Oh, dear God! <laughs> yeah, basically they're like amphibian bulldogs is it the best. Lo- I was going to say it looks like a bulldog. Yeah. Um, and they are named blurps for the uh, loud blur blurping sounds that they make. Oh my god. Sorry, blarfs. Yeah, blarfs. Um, 
They are easily tamed, and they were kept as watch animals by the Gungan since prehistoric times. Though in recent years, they have made their way off of Naboo and have become a very popular pet amongst children. Well, it makes sense. That's a dog. Yeah. That's, based... a, that's a dog. <laughs> Despite its very chonky looking it's appearance, a chonk. it's a chonky boy. Um, they are surprisingly swift and agile, with their girth serving as a bladder mostly. You know what this reminds me of? What? It reminds me of the, the, the dog creature from John Carter. I haven't watched that movie, actually. Really? Yeah. It reminds me of... it. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, please tell me. I'm going to look it up right now. <laughs> um, uh. it, it, it looks exactly like John Carter creatures. <laughs> da, 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 da. Woola. That's what it's called. Woola, okay. Oh, it okay. looks like Woola. <laughs> that, and that little thing, that motherfucker can fucking run. I'm sure it can, yep. It dashes across the sand faster <laughs> than a car. <laughs> nice. It is that Woola. It is so ugly and it's cute. Yeah, it is very that cute. That fits under that category. Yeah, the Blarf are really cute. I would honestly like to have one as a pet. I want one as a pet. Yeah. And they also possess, um, they have the ability to uh, <laughs> hold their breath to up to two hours underwater. That's cool. Yeah. They also have a uh, prehensile tail that helps them with uh, catching unsuspecting prey and as sort of a lure to attract fish and everything. That's cool. Um, and the, they're... They have a, <laughs> they have strong crushing jaws, which gives them the ability to eat crustaceans I and shellfish. I can tell by their teeth. Yeah, um, and the like ba- the babies are cute. Yeah, um, like the bulldogs, they constantly pant and drool, making them a very messy pet. I'm sure. Yeah, Fe- <laughs> space bulldogs. Yeah, yep, exactly. Space bulldogs. Um, the female blarf usually give birth to three to four pups once or twice a year. Wow. Yeah, so you could have plenty of blarfs for days. <laughs> <laughs> you can have a lot of blarf puppies. Blarf puppies. I want blarf puppies. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the wildlife. Yeah, same here. Um, I, this is just scratching the surface, if I'm going to be completely honest, because there are so many others I uh, didn't have the time to uh, get around to. I'm sure. Now I got to look more into it. Yeah. And then next are the Graysaurs. Let me check if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, the Graysaurs. They're basically... The um, f- they're four-legged carnivorous primates. They basically serve the same role as uh, fox hunting dogs. Okay. Yeah, they were... Co- I'm sorry. Just, I'm just speechless because they look weird. Yeah. Um, they are commonly used by Naboo aristocrats as hunting animals... Mostly, as I explained before, fox hunting dogs. Um, if a wild gray stars usually travel in packs of up to 2 to 12 individuals, usually hunting rodents, though sometimes they could hunt larger animals. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of interesting that, uh, that uh, what was it, different life forms can take different forms. Like, you would never imagine that's a primate, would you? No. Yeah. It does not even look remotely to a primate. Yeah, exactly. And then next is the... Uh, Honestly, this, this thing looks like a giant mutated fox. Yeah, I could see that. It's a flat-faced fox. <laughs> <laughs> and then next is the Shiro, which is basically a uh, Naboo turtle. It's a turtle. It's a turtle. 
Looks like a crocodile mixed with a turtle. <laughs> yeah. With a um, long-ass nose. Yeah, it's obviously a Nabu turtle. Um, they usually feed on many types of flora and occasionally of uh, mud-dwelling crustaceans and mollusks. Hmm. They are also a very popular um, <laughs> delicacy for Vagungans. I'm sure. Yeah. It looks like it could be being to food. It could be. Tonight I dine on <laughs> I You beat me to it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> And then next are the, uh, let me see, uh, next are the harumphs, which are basically Nabu uh, bison. That looks like it could fuck you up. Oh, absolutely it could. I can tell just by the way it's like moving in this picture, it's, it it could fuck you up. Oh yeah. They are incredibly uh, good leapers. That is so cool. Yeah. And then... Next week, probably makes good food too. <laughs> yeah, and now we get into some of the more recognizable wildlife of Nabu. Um, next is the Cadu, who you'll probably recognize in a little bit. They are the uh, traditional mounts used by the Gungans. Okay, they're like big duck dinosaurs. Yeah, basically. Um, the Cadu are flightless reptilians and are, as I mentioned before, they're used by the Gungans as mounts. And given they are both at home on both land and in water. Just like ducks. Yeah. Um, they have extremely large lungs and they could stay up to two hours underwater. That's cool. Imagine riding on one of those. Yeah, it would be That'd probably awesome. be high off the ground. And too. very, very fast too, because they could run up to speeds of 50 miles per hour. Wow. And they are known as fearless and loyal steeds to the Gungans, especially during times of war. That's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but one kick Jar Jar off. In the wild, they could be found amongst massive flocks, numbering from 200 to 100 individuals. Holy shit. Though there have been records of flocks containing more than 3.4 billion individuals. What? Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, they are numerous. They are everywhere. That's cool. And they, most like uh, most birds on Earth, they have close familial ties. And Cadu females usually lay their eggs on land, though often in fields, but also in river bands where they have elevated mud nests. Nice. I don't know how many eggs they lay, but I think around uh, 8 to 11 clutches of eggs. Interesting. Yeah, they were pretty cool. And next are the, uh, you'll probably recognize this one in particular, um, the Narglatches. Narglatches. You probably haven't watched that episode. I'm probably thinking of somebody else. I have not. Yeah. So the Narglatches. This thing's a predator. You can already tell. (laughs) Yeah. um, The Narglatches. It's a big, scary kitty. Yeah. They are known as the, one of the main apex predators of Naboo amongst the Gungan swaps. Um, This feline predator has been measured to be 20 feet long. Wow. That's just to give you a perspective, the largest uh, tiger ever recorded is like 10 feet long. Oh, so it's double the size of the biggest tiger Oh, ever. yes. Oh. <laughs> That's a big kitty. It's a big kitty. I'll fuck you up. Yeah. Hi, Lopi. <laughs> um, they are known as one of the stealthiest predators on all of Naboo, and they are usually solitary hunters. Um, only males and females, you know, come together when it's mating season and, you know, want to make some babies and all that. Um, 
The females are smaller and are more efficient hunters, while the males are basically larger and can easily chase away a female from her kill. Oh, wow. So, yeah, they're like big bullies, the males. Mm. Um, usually... I, I would want this as a mountain switch. <laughs> this would be a cool fucking mount to have on the Yeah, I believe the Gungans use them as mounts, and the Narglatches actually appear in an episode of The Clone Wars, That's where... Cool. Uh, they, uh, so Anakin and Obi-Wan and the, uh, the leader, the, the high chairman of the, uh, the, uh, Pantorans go there because they're like, this is sovereign territory. This moon belongs to us and everything. But turns out that, yeah, you probably saw It was saw the Tulls it. episode, wasn't yep, it? it was the Tulls oh, episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, those were the mounts of the Tulls. Okay. So they're not Naboo exclusive. Not, not Naboo exclusive, but apparently they are well suited to code despite coming from a swamp planet. Yeah, interesting, <laughs> but cool enough. Yeah. Um, they make horrible mothers, though. Oh, um, God. <laughs> usually the mother abandons the cub right when she gives birth to them. Wow! But fortunately, the cubs are ready to, f- to hunt, and when they have a sibling, they could hunt prey together until they mature and separate from their own solitary lifestyles. Wow, so they're a very solitary creature. Yeah, the mother just gives birth and then goes off to get milk. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, Narglage cubs are seen as cute by rich buyers from off-world. Well, who no take, shit. <laughs> yeah, most like a, like a modern-day animal um, traffickers, I suppose. Yeah, it's like the people who have fucking tigers for pets. Yep, yep. Um, but usually, they are quick to find how dangerous they, they could be become when they mature to adulthood. And they are a serious threat on Coruscant whenever they break out and everything. Wow. Though, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Narglatch. Um, the next one is the Zolica. Let me see if I could upload that real quickly. Um, oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, it's just this uh, streamlined reptilian-looking fucker. It looks like a... It looks like a a reptile horse yep. with claws. Yep. Wow. Yeah, the Zolica are intelligent yet fierce omnivores. I they are, write it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't worry. We're about to get to the writing part. That's they cool. are very elusive creatures and are nocturnal, making their habits largely unknown by no, most researchers. Okay. Um, though they seem to dwell primarily in woody uplands and are extremely strong swimmers. <laughs> Funny enough... It is usually a Gungan's rite of passage to capture one of these young creatures with the intent of training it to be a cavalry mount. That's cool. A task not particularly easy it to do. It doesn't look easy. Yeah, yeah. Given that the Zelica are natural enemies of a more dependable Kadu, this was seen as a test of courage for both the mount and the rider. Though when the Gungan in question is successful in training the Zelica, they are proven to be a vicious and loyal war mount, protecting its riders with savage brutality. I want one. Yeah, it is so freaking cool. I I want a lot of these creatures yeah. just in a zoo. This yeah. is so fucking cool. <laughs> the Zelica are so brutal that even the Narglash don't want to fuck with them. Yeah, The no 20 wonder. foot tall, not 20 foot tall, 20 foot long murder kitties look at this thing and they're like, nope. No. 
Nope. And then next, we go into <laughs> one of the more sillier looking wildlife on Naboo, the uh, shock. This is what Anakin wrote in uh, episode two. Oh, this is just goofy looking. <laughs> they are described as plump uh, pachydermoids. So they're basically related to elephants and everything. They're just... <laughs> <laughs> They're just so goofy looking. They are very goofy looking. Um, they are native to the grasslands of Naboo and are often raised for their meat and fluff. So they're like a combination of cattle and sheep. Makes sense. Yeah. They are wandering animals and can be found... Considering that big ass. <laughs> yeah, that, that, probably that big has a booty. Lot of meat. <laughs> Extra thick. It is very thick. <laughs> Um, probably makes good meat too yeah it probably does um they could be found in multiple regions of naboo though they tend to avoid the swamp since they are not very fond of dump damp surroundings and everything makes sense um they are <laughs> um they have such stubby legs that it barely keeps them you know <laughs> standing in the first place that if they find themselves in water it would be like the equivalent of trying to get a turtle off of its back and everything. <laughs> like, ah, help me! <laughs> Though they are very durable. Like, there are such cases of shocks being immobilized by a f- fast rush of water, which sent them over waterfalls. Oh, and, uh, no. <laughs> they, and people would just find them at the bottom, just unharmed because of their thick hide. Oh, God. Like, ah, help me! <laughs> I want one just as a pet to keep it away from in, from danger. Yeah. <laughs> there, it's it's so silly, but it also looks cute. It does because look it cute. is so helpless. Yeah, I'm just must protect him. Must protect him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there's like an episode of the Clone Wars where uh, have you have you ever watched the Novo Vendi and the Blue Shadow Virus at all? I did. Okay, I did so see that arc. yeah, they they find her herder there. Yep. Uh, those things are huge compared to her. Yeah, they are very huge, and uh, from what I've gathered in the lore, it's not e- it's not uh, practical to use them as mounts. But apparently, she uses them as a mount. It looks like it. <laughs> and of course, several of them got killed when they uh, <laughs> when they ingested the blue shadow virus in water. Yeah, just must protect you. No, <laughs> exactly. They look like they look like good good creatures to have. Yeah. A little bit goofy, but... Very goofy looking. But you gotta protect them. (laughs) They must be protected. They must be protected. Um, Next, we go into some of the more elegant looking uh, creatures. Um, Let me see. Uh, We have the uh, the Gulleria. Holy shit! Yeah. I want one. (laughs) There are these elegant... Uh, horse things. Um, that is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. They're part of this uh, group of animals called the ungulates, which is in the same family as the nerfs from Odoran, By the way. Wow, that does not look like a nerf, though. Yeah. Um. That that is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Hannah just geeking out over the wildlife of Naboo and everything. I mean, I, I'm an animal lover. Yep. I, I I love horses. I just I I love animals in general. This. It looks like a Clydesdale. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the Star Wars equivalent of a Clydesdale, but it has claws. Yeah. But I just, 
I know I've said it again <laughs> and again and again, but I want one. Yeah. Um, so they come from the snowy um, northern mountain regions of Naboo, and their thick coats are required to be sheared when in warmer climates to ensure they don't die of overheating and yeah. everything. Um, their fur is used by the Naboo in their clothing and tapestries. Though they only, look soft. Yeah, they look very soft. Though only the monarchs of the Naboo are permitted to ride these creatures. Makes sense. They're yeah. regal enough. They're very regal. And then next are the... Uh... How do I become Queen of Naboo? <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta be part of the aristocrats and everything. <laughs> and then next are the... Uh... The, the Goliar. Okay. It looks like the guards ride these. Yeah. Um, they are related to the Galura. Um, they're another ungulate race. Um, they are found within the mountains and hills of Naboo. Domesticated by the Naboo for centuries, the Galar's build and strength made them the perfect beasts of burden. Okay. Like the, the royal house of Naboo from Feed kept a herd that were used to carry state officials and they were trained to pull carriages during funerals and weddings. I was just about to say, aren't these the creatures that yep. pulled Padme's casket? Yep, yep, they're the very same creatures. I was gonna say, that horn looks familiar. Yep. Um, okay. <laughs> and then next are... Uh, give me a minute here. Next are the, uh, the uh, Fambas. They're basically these gigantic uh, reptilian-looking creatures. Also beasts of burden? Uh, Beasts of Burden, um, for the Gungans, anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, they were, so, they are herbivorous, why am I not speaking English right now? They're herbivorous. Herbivorous, um, amphibian, domesticated by the Gungans as Beasts of Burden and artillery draft beasts. They usually reach sizes of up to 29 feet. And... (laughs) And they are That's a big bitch. It is a big bitch. And they are <laughs> so heavy, they have the ability to casually knock over trees to get to the delicious uh, leaves and berries. Oh wow. Yeah. They are they are easily at home both on land and in the water. And they're most notably used by the uh Gungan Grand Army during the uh the climactic battle of the Trade Federation. They were the uh beasts that carried their shield generators and everything. Okay. Yeah. Um so and, they can carry a lot of Yeah, money. they could carry a shit ton of things. Um, now we go into a little bit of the uh, ocean creatures. Most of them are basically standard fish here and there. There's the goby fish, which is mentioned by, uh, by uh, Jar Jar. I believe they're like the typical fish that Gungans eat and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine them like trout and everything. Yeah. And then you'll probably recognize this motherfucker. The Opie Sea Killer. Oh, dear God. <laughs> it's got the face of an anglerfish. Yeah. And that the, is uh, terrifying. And the legs of a crab. That is terrifying. <laughs> the OPC killer is a massive carnivorous sea creature that grew to lengths of up to 65 feet. This looks like something that would come out of, like, the deep ocean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that bad scene from Phantom Menace where uh, the main characters go into... You know, pilot of a Gungan submarine, and oh. they get chased by that motherfucker. I, I need to watch the prequels again. Oh yeah, yeah. It is known as the third largest predator in all of Naboo. Wow. And uh, normally, they live within the watery core of a planet itself. 
Yeah, that is a nope. Yep. A major nope. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously it's a hybrid of a fish and a crustacean. Um, normally to ambush prey, the opie would normally cling on the rocky outcrops or hidden within the caverns while waiting for prey. Usually if it was forced to chase after prey, it is a remarkably fast swimmer through its combination of its fins and its crustacean-like legs. Mm-hmm. Um, one within range of its target, it will launch its gooey prehensile-like tongue, as you'll probably notice in The Phantom Menace, that sort of thing. Um, and much like uh, most fish, the opie are mouth breeders, meaning that a male usually has to carry the fertilized egg within its mouth and be forced to fast for three months. I think other sea creatures here do that too. Yep. I just can't think of what it is. Oh yeah. Um, very reminiscent of uh, earth fish and everything. Though uniquely, um, <laughs> when baby opies hatch, they are capable of sustaining themselves instinctively. And if a larger predator ate either via unhatched eggs or a baby opie, they usually face a gruesome death when the young predator claws their way out of a predator's stomach. Oh, Jesus. And there is a picture of his, yes. Uh, just give me a moment here. These things are terrifying. They are very terrifying. Just stay away from the babies because they'll chew their way from the inside. Oh, my God. <laughs> and nope. Yeah. It's, it's a, a big nope. Yeah, and it's also a nice segue because that is the very creature that we'll be talking about next. The Callow Clawfish. Basically, this, uh, yeah, as I, as you saw in that one image, it's basically a gigantic eel. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's the second largest predator found on all of Naboo, and it would usually grow up to lengths of 131 feet. Fuck that. <laughs> I can stay deep in the ocean. <laughs> oh, man. Um,. So, yeah, like most uh, eels, and probably snakes in general, they have the ability to unhinge their jaws, allowing them to swallow prey larger than their own heads It doesn't look like it needs to. (laughs) Look at those choppers. Yeah. They are indiscriminate feeders, and they will just eat about anything. anything. Yeah. And they have been known to inflate their stomach, making themselves look... Thick when they eat an especially large prey and it needs to digest. Isn't that what snakes do too? Oh yeah, yeah. Thought so. Yeah, so classical sea serpent, sea eel, that sort of thing. Now we go into uh, the the big mama of all of Naboo. Um, I introduce to you, Handa, the Sando Aqua Monster. What the fuck? <laughs> yep. What the fuck is this thing? It is... What the fuck? It is uh, the largest predator on all of Naboo, reaching up to lengths of 656 feet. No. Just to give you no. an idea... <laughs> just no. to give you an idea, it's twice as large as the crater crit dragon from Tatooine. No. <laughs> nope. No. No, no. Well, no, 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 no. Well, fortunately for you, they are kind of elusive creatures. They're very shy. Just stick to the uh, watery core of Naboo itself. They can stay there. <laughs> like, these guys are basically the Krakens for the Naboo and everything. Yeah, are, I can see why. They are mostly seen as mythical and legendary creature told throughout the entire Naboo history and everything. 
Like it, a, its mouth looks like a shark. Yep. Like a megalodon. <laughs> All of those fucking pointy teeth. Oh yep. no. Their origin and habitats are largely unknown. Or habits, sorry. Um, what is known terrifies researchers and the citizens of Naboo. No shit. And fun fact, one of these many myths was made by the Gungans, who believed that enchanted sandal aqua monsters guarded the underwater city of Osiris, the residence of their gods. That's cool. So yeah, these... They're big enough, too? Yeah. Um, for most... Uh, so in the Gungans' point of view, these creatures are basically guardians to their version of Olympus. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Though what I don't want to fuck with one. <laughs> no, you do not. Um, though what is known is that the Sando Aqua Monster is a mammalian creature that was theorized to have evolved from land-dwelling ancestors that retreated back into the ocean in and the Considering they have four legs, yep. it looks like that they could move on land. Yeah. Like most mammals, the female Sando would nurse their young for a year and uh, only have one pup birth birth. Oh, I think that's... Common with sharks as well. Yeah. So they're, unlike the Narglatch, they're really good mothers. Yeah. <laughs> Still fucking terrifying. Yeah. It has been theorized that the Sandos can live up to a hundred years. Hmm. Though due to their elusiveness, many, their, the studies aren't exactly accurate to determine well, it. no shit. Um, though, uniquely in one instance, so... For context, Vader goes to Naboo to investigate, uh, you know, Padme's death. Well, not death. Uh, why? It's a it's a, a, a side comic and everything. Okay. Where he goes to Naboo, um, you know, uh, Padme's handmaidens want to have revenge against Darth Vader, and he's you know um, kicking the shit out of him and everything. This is when he meets Sabe, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Okay. And. One of the creatures he encounters is a saddle aquatic beast. And from uh, this uh, droid assistant, after, you know, Vader kills it, the, the droid... Of course he kills it. <laughs> the droid determines that this certain aquatic monster was approximately 932 years old. Holy shit. So they could apparently live for nearly a thousand years. No, it, it, it can stay in the it can stay in the bottom of the ocean. We're not gonna fuck with it. Yeah, that's probably a fair idea. Um, in order for the sandal to maintain their large size, they require constantly eating anything in their path. Well, no shit. But given that most prey is scarce within the uh, ocean depths, they they are usually sluggish creatures. They spend ninety percent of their time just lying dormant and motionless. They can say that. Way. <laughs> so they're basically just at the bottom of the ocean. Just <laughs> they can stay that way. <laughs> they're they're hitting the snooze every time. <laughs> they're like, no, leave me alone. <laughs> Though if they are especially desperate, they have been observed crawling onto dry land to hunt down famba herds. Being oh, the only free, you know, the giant reptiles that could carry the Gungans' uh, shield generator. They're probably slow enough for it to catch it. Yep. And they're the only creatures that could actually attack the Fambas. Because everything else are not big enough to challenge them. Um, wow. Sorry, go on. I just said wow. But, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, the uh, fauna of Naboo. Holy shit. And we still have the flora left. Yeah. Um, not fortunately. 
I mean, uh, not as extensive. There is obviously a shit ton of of uh, planned life across Naboo, but there's only a couple that really stand out to me. Most of them are just trees and scrubs and, you know, grass and everything. Mm-hmm. But I decided to go with the more interesting ones. And the first one we will cover is the Milia flower. Interesting sounding. Mm-hmm. I need some water. Ugh. Ooh, this is pretty. Yeah, it is very pretty. The Milia flower is an aromic flower found within the isolated valleys of Naboo that usually came in several bright colors with red and blue being the most common. Hmm. So it's a very uh, colorful flower. It is popular amongst the Naboo and the Gungans. The flower was commonly cultivated for, you know, gardens and everything. And when gifted, it was considered a great honor. Usually signifying respect, yeah. That's cool. Um, Though, aside from its natural beauty, the Milia flower was primarily valued for its airborne airborne chemical that put many uh, oxygen-breathing species at ease. So it's like a natural drug. Yeah, it's a natural drug. And if if a uh, person is in the presence of more than one flower... Um, the area would have a stronger effect to the point of producing a mild uh, tranquilizing effect. <laughs> Basically, the flower gets you high. Exactly. It could be extracted and distilled as an organic tranquilizer. Though, if applied in a large enough dose, it could easily kill somebody. Makes sense. Yep. And with that being the case, the Naboo outlawed anyone from producing the extract. Um, except for licensed uh, drug manufacturers and everything. Yeah. It served as a major Nabu export, commonly used to help with relaxation and muscle aches. I, I want one. <laughs> <laughs> Though, unfortunately, on the other side, the milia flower can also be used for more illicit purposes. Of course, it could be turned into drugs. Yep. Mm, um, <laughs> drugs. <laughs> given its powerful effect, it could be used as a tasteless toxin within food or drink for any unfortunate victim to ingest. Uh-oh. So, for example, under the influence, the victim could feel the effects of a drug within an hour, which can last up to 10 hours. Wow. Yep. One dose produced relaxation... Two, made a victim in inhabilitated. Three, intoxication. <laughs> uh, four, deep sleep and unconsciousness. And five, paralysis. Paralysis, oh wow. And six, death. Uh, heart failure and death. Oh god. <laughs> uh, vote. Oh. Everybody knows too much of one thing is never good. Yeah, exactly. And this thing is just odorless, so it's very easy to uh, miss and everything. Well, duh. If there's no taste or flavor, you could eat as much as you want and not know. Yeah. And then you're fucked. Yep, basically. Though, aside from the extract's deadly use, some illicit drug manufacturers experimented it as a potential spice. Oh, of course. Yeah, so I could imagine the Pike you can Syndicate. Make spice out of anything. <laughs> I could imagine the Pike Syndicate are like, ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the uh, Milia flower, and lastly we have the uh, the uh, the Teke um 
trap plant. Basically a Venus flytrap. Oh, yeah. That's big Venus flytrap. Yeah. They are carnivorous plants that possess one to four stalks, each that have a mouth at the very end. Though, like most plants, they, they can usually survive mostly on sunlight and water. Though the trap plant specialized in preying on their namesake, the toke, which is the little, uh, the, uh, <laughs> kangaroo rat thing. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it eats the, it eats the kangaroo rats. Yep. They attract the small rodent through a fragrance of what is basically identical to the pheromones produced by a take in heat. Wow. So basically it's all like, hey, <laughs> come here. We got take, um... Singles in your area, come over here. <laughs> and the teke would find this pheromone as irresistible. Well, duh. Any, just like any your, animal would. Just like your normal horny teenager. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Gungans found them to be excellent houseplants, by the way. Wow. Yeah, and in, in you, and as you could see in the picture, um, in some unique circumstances, the plants would have a symbiotic relationship with a Saros, who happened to have, you know, scrunched seeds of a plant within its shell and everything. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Especially with how, like, ridged their shell is. Yep. The plant would serve as natural camouflage for Vicero to avoid predators, while Vicero served as a mobile home for the uh, trap plant and nice. providing more opportunities for it to, uh, you know, get the kangaroo rat and everything. Yep. And yeah, um, that's basically all I have for Naboo. Uh, of course, I'm impressed with all of the fauna. Yep. I loved all of the animals. <laughs> the majority of them, at least. The majority. I'm sure you did not like the Sando Aqua Monster. No. All the aquatic <laughs> monsters can fuck off. <laughs> you know, that's fair. But the land animals, like... The majority of the land animals are beautiful. Yep. And I want them. I'm sure you do. That's yeah. Just, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, I am... I am so happy that uh, we decided to do the uh, Planet Topic episodes. They are so fun. I will say, my favorite animal is the little puffball. Yeah, (laughs) the little hamster that you could put in your purse and everything. I want one! (laughs) Uh, Yeah, any lingering questions, Hannah? No, not really. If anyone could draw, if anyone could commission me... Uh, with surrounded by all these animals, <laughs> that could be fucking awesome. That would be pretty cool. But yeah, um, so that's our episode of Can Mayonnaise Kill a Jedi? Or in this case, how hard can Hannah geek out over fauna? Yeah, that's <laughs> the truth. Yeah, um, the Naboo, yeah, it is very colorful. And as you'll probably see with a majority of planets in our little mini series, a lot of them have really uh lively flora and fauna as as you saw with the uh Tatooine episode. Yeah, Tatooine I was surprised. Yeah. Tatooine really surprised me. But Naboo, uh, uh the sheer amount yep. was what surprised me this time. Oh yeah, yeah. Um yeah, just a majority of those animals I would absolutely love as pets. Yeah. <laughs> I want the majority of the land dwellers. Yeah. Like the uh, the uh, albatross macaw things. Yeah, those are awesome. I want one. <laughs> that would just be a cool thing to have on your shoulder. Yeah. Now I'm looking forward to uh, future planet episodes because wildlife in Star Wars is awesome. Everything in Star Wars is awesome. This is yeah. why we like Star Wars. <laughs> but yeah, um, you want to know what our next episode is going to be about? I was Hannah? just about to ask. Yep. 
So, uh, it, as with most things, um, okay, so first off, completed what Hannah wanted to go into, now it is my turn. And it was kind of a uh, hard decision. I wanted to uh, explore some organizations. Um, I know that we did an entire history of a Sif series and everything. Um, but I decided it is <laughs> high time to go into the history of their counterparts. We will be exploring the history of a Jedi Order. It It's about time. Yeah, it's about time. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the uh, Jedi episode, in all honesty. Yeah, I'm interested to see where the Jedi got their start. Visually start sweating from all the lore I have to write down. <laughs> <laughs> you have fun with that. Yeah, thank you, Anna. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this little episode. Um, I had a lot of fun going over the wildlife. Let me know if there is any particular planet you would like me to cover in the future. He says There's... little as if this episode isn't an hour and a half long. <laughs> Yeah, um, holy shit, it's very, it's (laughs) one of our longest episodes of recent memory. Um, but yeah, um, just let me know if there's any certain planets you want me to cover. I'm not talking about Aigo or anything like that, because that's like barely a paragraph. It's hardly anything. Yeah, it's hardly anything, but maybe... Give us like Ryloth or Coruscant. Yeah, Ryloth, Coruscant, Corellia, all of those others. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, I'm... Really, really happy with this episode. But anyway, before I prattle on anymore, I hope you guys are having a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, yeah, we will see you in the next episode. May the fourth be with you. May the fourth be with you. And this is the way. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.